Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Yeah. When like uh holiday uh, like that day was literally like Christmas was made to like replace that kind of Yeah. Like, yeah. People get so upset. Now I agree. I I'm I am an adherent to the Christian calendar. Okay? I love the Christian calendar. And I have you guys reading through the lectionary, which marks off the Christian calendar. So if you would look, today is the day of Saint Luke. It is. That's 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 in the in the Catholic Church and other high church environments. They are celebrating the Mass of Saint Luke today. It's an important day in the in the church. Okay, we don't ever talk about it. I don't. I'm not really gonna go after it either. I don't even really know what they do any different. But it's interesting. Um, the Jewish people had a holy calendar that they kept. It was a moon calendar, not a sun calendar, and so it. It works differently than the than the sun calendar. Um, the church's calendar was kind of built on the Jewish model a little bit. And the idea is that through the year, we're going to take people through the story of Jesus. So that's what they've attempted to do, and that's what the lectionaries are for, is to walk people through. If you look at the lectionary that I sent you, you can see like last Sunday was the like sixth Sunday after Pentecost, Right? Okay, and it's like, that means we're still celebrating Pentecost six weeks later. Now, did you know that, that the church as a whole is celebrating Pentecost? No, because a lot of Protestant churches and especially, you know, the, the Assemblies of God and the Pentecostal movement are only about 125 years old. Not quite that old, 120, 115. I don't remember the exact date. The Pentecostal outpouring uh, in on Azusa Street uh, happened in like 1905 or 06 or some, somewhere back then, which is when the Pentecostal movement began. The Assemblies of God didn't become a denomination for several years after that. And so here we are in the midst of, of you know, a, a very young movement. We don't have the ancient roots that some of these other churches do and so we don't and a big part of it was kind of throwing all that stuff away they, they we're not going to really do any of that stuff anymore because they felt like it was dead religion i have the i am of the opinion we threw the baby out with the bathwater. i am totally okay with saying we don't want we don't want dead religion but dead religion has nothing to do with the prayers you pray or the holidays you celebrate it has to do with the state of your heart when you do so and i think that stuff is important I think we'd have a very different view of All Hallows' Eve 
if we understood what it was for. Because they said, the pagan culture said, that on All Hallows' Eve, that that's when, that's when the, the underworld was opened, the veil between this world and the next, and this world and the invisible world is thinnest on that day because of the equinox. And so spirits are more free to move and the spirit of the spirits of the dead can come back from the dead and walk the and walk the earth. Okay. That's what they said. Which is why they would wear masks to scare off the spirits. It's literally what they were doing. The church said, well, we're not gonna think about these the, those old dead spirits. We're not we're not even worried about them. But we're going to have a holiday called All Saints Day where we are going to remember those who are still alive in Christ who have gone before us. Does that make sense? You ever heard of the Day of the Dead that they celebrate in Mexico? It's the same thing. What are they doing? That's right. They are. And they will take food to the graveyard and they will take gifts and all that kind of stuff to honor the ones who have gone before. Uh, and, And... that they're just doing it's it's just an another autumnal equinox celebration. It's like when you take flowers to someone who passed. In France, I never did that. Uh, schools are like they view All Saints Day as literally a national holiday. Like yeah, it's extremely holy because the church sees it as a very important day, <laughs> right? Like, Yeah. I love it. That's great. Think about, think about, I was just, I just preached on the church on Sunday and I think, and I didn't get to say hardly all what I wanted to say, but if you think about the miracle of the church, in fact, this takes us to our reading. Thank you, Lord. You are good. Let's go there. Shall we? How many of you read your Bible reading for this morning? What? I mean, I sent you the calendar. You could have just looked at the calendar. If I need to send it to you every week, I will. But I did send you the link for the calendar so that you could go and look. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I will send it to you right now, actually. Let's just do that while I'm thinking about it. I didn't even think to do it until like... Because you don't love Jesus, that's why. All right, I just sent you the... The link for this week. And then next Sunday I'll send you another link. Okay, Second Timothy three fourteen through uh, four five is where we're going to be at today. As for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Oops. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped in every good work. So we're going to stop there for this morning because we're going to talk about this. Yeah. We're doing the fact pack, JBQ fact pack. Ah, pack yes, indeed. See, the Lord, the Lord always <laughs> just lines this stuff up. It's a really important, important, important conversation that we need to have, right? All right. 
Timothy had uh, his mother and his grandmother were devout Jewish women. Uh, we don't know anything about his dad, um, but we know that his mother and his grandmother were, were, were lovers of God, devout Jewish women who then got saved. And Timothy's history with his mother and his grandmother, uh, he was rooted in the scriptures because of their ministry to him as a child. Why do I bring this up? Because who gave you your faith? Like the Lord introduced us to it? Yeah. Hmm. It sounds like kind of like born knowing. Not like born knowing, but like my dad's side of the family. Sure. Yeah. But who held it? No, you, you, your faith didn't come from you and it didn't come from God directly. You didn't have a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit where he downloaded the Christian faith to you, right? Who gave it to you? And yes, it might be your family, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your aunt, your uncle, it might be them. But who's been giving it to you and who's giving it to you now? This isn't a difficult answer. Christian, give me the answer, my friend. Jesus? Wrong. 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 No, not Jesus. So Jesus came to you personally and revealed his plan of salvation to you personally? No, I didn't think so. If he did, really, you should be teaching this. <laughs> Who did? Christians. Yes, the church. The church. St. Augustine says, no one can call God their father and not call the church their mother. It was the church of Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years who have faithfully carried the gospel from that time until this. You would not be named Christian, nor would you be a Christian, if the church had not been faithful to carry it for the last 2,000 years to bring it to you. Now I want to ask you another question. Where did the Bible come from? Correct. Who did he inspire? Holy men. Holy men. Who were a part of what? Christians. Correct. The Bible, Scripture, is God's gift through his people to his people. We don't think of it that way. A lot of times we think that the Bible descended from heaven in an egg. You know? It's like it just opened up. Here is God's word. Even We, we even tell kids. That this is God's love letter that he wrote to you. And I want to go, no, it's not. He inspired its writing. He speaks through its writing. But he did not write it. There were human authors who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. It was the church that gave us the scriptures. God's people before the Jewish people gave us the Old Testament. And the church gave us the New Testament. But in a very real way, the church also gave us the Old Testament. We elevate, we elevate the Bible up here almost as if it were a fourth member of the Trinity. And it is not. It is not. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. No. No, 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 no. That's a mistake. No. 
It is a beautiful, wonderful gift that I adore and spend every day reading, but it is not God, will never be God, has never been God. Came from God, it is a gift, but it came through people, through human beings like you and me that were inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit to write these words. And then Paul says, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Can you name the authors of the scriptures? Sure. Sure. Who wrote the book of John? John. Which John? The apostle, the apostle John. Which Apostle John? The one who there. That's the question. Because I know there was John the Baptist, right? Well, there's John the Baptist. He obviously didn't write it. He died before Jesus' ministry was over. But there are two different Johns. Oh, there is John, son of Zebedee, and then there's John the Beloved. So it's John Beloved, well, the five books? Indeed. Okay. Because everyone beloved him. So they're like, oh yeah, best tale of Some people think John, the son of Zebedee, and John the Beloved are the same person, but the early church says no. The early church says those were two different men. That's what I'm saying. We don't know our history. And Paul is here telling us, you need to know where your faith comes from. The faithful hands who have carried it and brought it to you. Because until you know the history of the church, you don't know what it's cost for your faith to get to you. The thousands of martyrs who have died. Do you know who Tyndale was? I can't remember his first name now. Tyndale? That stinks. Yeah, Tyndale. Do you know who he was? Timothy Tyndale? That's not Timothy, I don't think. Somebody look it up. T-Y-N-D-A-L-E. I want to say Martin, but I don't think that's right. Hendrix. William Tyndale. William. William Tyndale. He was one of the first people to write an English translation of the Bible. Before the King James Version, by the way. Although the King James ended up using a lot of his translation. William Tyndale. You would not have the English Bible in the form that you have it now were it not for a man named William Tyndale who, against the king's explicit orders and the church's explicit orders, translated the, this, the scriptures into the native language of the, English, of the British people and then was killed for it. What? They killed him. When? Like right after? Not long after. He went into exile. He went into prison for a while. Then he came back out of prison and they killed him. Why did that? Never mind. They killed him because he translated the... You can ask questions. But well, yeah, I don't think you know the answer. I may not. Go ahead. Why did he just run? Write he, it in Rome. He ran at one point, but then he felt called back to England. This is his job. He wanted to preach the gospel to the people of England, oh. and he couldn't do it. 
You know, he is so strong-willed. Tell you what. Because I'm, I, to be honest. I got to say, I'm with I'm you. Like, I've been like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm leaving. Yeah, but they killed him. And you didn't even know his name. Isn't that sad? Yeah, that's really sad. And you think about the thousands of people over the over 2,000 years who died for their faith so that you could receive the gospel. And we don't know who they are. Breaks my heart. Now, what they died for was accomplished because you did receive the gospel. Hallelujah. But we don't know who they are. We don't know their stories. You want to know why? Because about 100, 150 years ago, the church in the United States decided the church history was just not that important. We're not going to teach it anymore. We're not going to have days like the celebration of St. Luke. Yeah, we don't care about that. That's old, dead religion. It's so sad. We just threw it all away. Why? Because we were foolish. Which is why I have, I've gone back to a lot of this and tried to learn some of this stuff because I think it's important. Because these are men and women. These are my fathers and my mothers in the faith. Not only that, but they dealt with a lot of problems that I'm trying to figure out now. And I go back and read what they wrote, and it's like, wow, they really had some of this figured out, and I don't. Which is why I read a lot of the old church fathers, and I've been reading a lot about a lot of the men and women who were writing Christian writings back in the first two and three hundred years of Christianity. Stuff we're talking about. The, the grand disciples of the disciples. So not the people the disciples discipled directly, but the people who were discipled by the people who were discipled by the disciples. Was that fun? Was that a, a nice little thing? That's it. Okay, but you've got John, the beloved, author of the books of, uh, that we have in scriptures. Okay, John had... A lot of pupils. There was a lot. He had a whole community that he trained to do ministry. But the primary one was a guy named Polycarp. Great name. I would have named one of my kids Polycarp if my wife would have let me. But she was not. She's like, she, she, she thought they'd be made fun of. And I was like, but for a good reason. We need to remember Polycarp. I have a lot of Polycarp tell you this. Polycarp was the man who said to John, hey, John, you should probably write some of these stories about so Jesus down. He's the reason why we have five books. No, the other books were all letters from John. But that, this one, Polycarp said to John, not just Polycarp, but all of his disciples, they were all reading Mark and Luke, going, John, there's, there are stories you tell us about Jesus that aren't in here. Will you write those down? Before you die, and John, at 90 years of age, fasted for three days, felt the inspiration of the Holy Spirit come upon him and began to write his gospel with the help of Polycarp and these other guys. That's cool. Because, like, I knew John was more label-like than the other three. Yes. Like, I knew that. The only one that died of old age. Everybody, most of the other disciples were martyred. Yeah. Not John. 
pussy was because like I know like most of them you know were like more like also with John also at one point or Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They boiled John in hot oil. He just didn't die. That's lovely. Is that your dress for later on this week? Abby's for the wedding. I actually looks like the for the video today. Because the toes were gold. So wedding. Oh yeah. That's the wedding. Oh girl and what's McCall's wedding? Yes. That's so soon. Yes, that's Tuesday. Soon. That's next all, Vicky. That's next week. Wait, that's next week. Two weeks. Well, I'm, two, I'm, yeah, I was going to say two weeks. I'm, I'm, so, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Polycarp. What a great name. Polycarp had one prime, had his, his best student was a man named Irenaeus of Lyon. Irenaeus wrote some of the greatest theology the church has ever seen, but none of you have heard of him. Like a lot of the things that you believe were were really first fully explained by Irenaeus. Like what? Almost everything you believe about the Trinity. Like God of the Father. Look in the Bible. The word Trinity is not there. It's not. No. So what were we talking about? We were trying to describe what we were seeing in the Bible. Like we have this moment in the Gospels where Jesus is in the water, the Spirit is descending on Jesus like a dove, and then a voice speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. So what's going on there? God tightened himself up. We have Jesus, we believe Jesus is God, right? And he's down here in the water. But then the Spirit comes and descends on Jesus. That's all I know <laughs> I, I didn't know the the, uh, the the language. I'm sorry. The terminology. The, yeah, yeah, the terminology. Oh, I knew that. I, didn't, I thought you said typing. <laughs> I was like, that's a phrase I've never heard before. I mean, I can make it a phrase. Sure, kind of. I mean, it, although I think the father was just encouraging Jesus, but the father was also speaking to John the Baptist. Hey, this is the one I told you to, you need to wait for. Um, but so we clearly have three active individuals in this scenario and we would say all three of them are God. So what do we do with that? Because we only believe in one God. We don't believe in three gods. How does that work? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how it works. Not really. The Bible hints. But the Bible doesn't tell us. And you want to know why the Bible doesn't tell us? Because we didn't know. It was only it took it was only hundreds of years later that Christians began to see this stuff in the Bible and go, okay, what's going on there? They began to think through scripturally how do we describe God who is one God but three personas? How does that work? I just heard last weekend that the word persona is is a is a interesting it comes from the masks that that 
the players would wear on the stage in the Roman plays. That's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that a bit. But God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Irenaeus did some of the best original thinking about that. Then Irenaeus trained a guy named Origen. And Origen is probably the greatest Christian thinker of all time. Was he original? It's spelled different. But yeah, he was extremely original and a little heretical. Heretical? Maybe. What's heretical? To be heretical means that he doesn't necessarily fall in line with all correct Christian doctrine. Now, I don't think her origin was heretical at all. I think later people just didn't like him and they decided to change. They decided to say he was heretical, but he wasn't. Yeah. And then at, from origin, we get people like Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianzus, who are brilliant, brilliant theologians in their own right. Amazing guys. Gregory of Nyssa was a, was a wealthy man, and he, he basically gave up all his wealth, freed all his slaves, and encouraged everyone else to free slaves too because that's what God wants. Now, let me tell you something. The Bible does not tell us to free slaves. Did you know that? Yeah. Doesn't. In fact, it says slaves obey your masters. Now I will say slavery in their day was very, very different than chattel slavery, which existed in the early part of this country. That's what entire two very, very different things. But at the same time, Gregory of Nyssa was looking at any slavery at all, going, This is not what God wants. Not because the Bible tells him that explicitly, but because he takes what the Bible says. And he extrapolates it out to the way that their relationships work. And he's like, how can I love you and own you at the same time? That makes no sense. So I shouldn't own you because I'm supposed to love you. So he's set all his slaves free and told everybody else to do it too. Nobody listened, by the way, or very few people listened. Because that was the way the culture was at the time. Just deal with it. There are slaves and there are free people. That's just how it is. And they didn't, they didn't mess around with that culture. But if Gregory of Nyssa, who existed about 300 years after Jesus, if we had listened to him all the way back then, we wouldn't have the kind of junk going on now that we still do from, from the culture of slavery that went on for thousands of years. Gregory of Nyssa also basically invented the hospital. They didn't exist. Mercy? Pfft. Romans don't know what mercy is. They really don't. They don't. They don't care about it. Taking <laughs> care of someone else at my own cost? Why? They didn't have that in their culture. That came from Christianity. That came from the church. Oh, so I saw something on TikTok about that. And you know how, like, medical things have, like, that little T on it? Yeah. It's a cross. Well, there may be times when it's a cross, but more often it's the staff of Hermes. Hermes? Okay, I've, I think I've seen that one. The have you seen the one with, the, like, the snakes wrapped around it and the wings coming off the top? No, so yeah. That's the staff of Hermes. <laughs> so he was the god of medicine. Um, Hermes? Hermes, Hermes, Hermes. 
He was the guy that had the shoes with the wings on them, that he was the messenger of the gods, but he was also the god of medicine. Okay. Yeah, because just being a messenger, that's pretty lame. <laughs> but a lot of people think that the reason there's a snake on that staff, it goes all the way back to Moses. That there was, because the Jewish people and other surrounding cultures later on, a long time after the staff of Moses had gotten rid of the snakes, they kept that staff with them, and it became an object of worship itself. People began to worship the staff. And they think that somehow that got blended into later Greek mythology to be Hermes' staff. That's a little backwards for them to worship the staff. Knowing they're not oh, we don't do that all the time. Don't we, don't we regularly worship the things that God gives rather than God himself? We were just talking about that with the Bible. We don't have enough time to talk about inspiration and what it actually is. I love that conversation. That's one of my favorites. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Oh, so tell me, you should know that. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? What you say? That's your, your, You're in hermeneutics class right now. literally word for word one of the questions on your... Your Berean class online. Oh, my Berean? Yeah, there's like seven of those. That's word for word one of, your, one of the questions. On what does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Paul says right here, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped in every good work. What does he mean? And here's my, here's, here's the bigger question. What does Paul mean when he says scripture? When I think of scriptures, I think of like really long scrolls with dust on them. Sure. So like words. See, when Paul was talking here, the only scripture that existed was the Old Testament. Mm. But we regularly apply this scripture, this, to the New Testament as well. Was Paul referring to the, the, the letter he was writing when he's talking to Timothy? All scripture, like this letter I'm writing you now, is inspired by God. Oh, I don't know. That would be pretty arrogant, wouldn't it? But we would say it's inspired. So what happened? Just about every answer today is going to be the same. The church. The church looked at this letter and the other letters of Paul and realized that the Holy Spirit was at work in these writings. That these were as inspired as the Old Testament writings were. And we recognize Paul as an apostle. And we see the Holy Spirit's at work in these. And so we see those are scripture also. Mm-hmm. What were they? Uh, had it be written by holy man? Um, what are the other two? Certain times, right? Had it be written between certain times? Well, within the first generation of apostles, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And has it been 
seen as scripture by the church for the last 300 years? That's the other question. Has the church universally recognized this text as a text inspired by God? So who decided what was scripture? What was it? That's right. Do we believe that the choosing of which scriptures belong to the canon of scripture was just as inspired as the ones who wrote it? Oh, that's a big question. And I got another bombshell for you if you're ready for it. Guess what? Your Bible changed 500 years ago. There was several books. That 500 years ago, Luther and Calvin and those guys were like, we don't like these books. And they took them out. Yep. That the original church back, back at the Council of Nicaea and later councils recognized this is scripture. And they put a list together saying, these are the approved books that we, that we say, yes, all Christians should read. Right? And then a hundred or a thousand years later... 1,500 years later, some new guys who didn't like the Catholic Church and had problems with how the Catholic Church was running things said, yeah, but we don't like this book or this book or this book. And they <laughs> threw them out. I don't know how many it was, honestly. I really don't know. Why do we I have. Well, I mean, that's pretty controversial. You're going to add a book to the canon? <laughs> Well, there was The Wisdom of Solomon, which is a wonderful book, by the way. There was the uh, uh, the Maccabees, which is the story of the Jewish nation prior to Jesus. Uh, it's like them reestablishing their kingdom. That's where the story of Hanukkah comes from, by the way from Maccabees. And there were a couple others. There were a couple of Gospels too, but I can't remember which ones. One of my favorites is the Gospel of Nicodemus. Really cool. Really fun. Fascinating. There's a bunch of Gospels. A bunch of books that were called Gospels. Do you get a list? Bell and the Dragon? Is that like a... Bell and the Dragon. I've never read that one. That one got taken out? Yeah, according to... Might be. I'm, I'm, the Shepherd of Hermas was another one. The Book of Enoch. Ooh, the Book of Enoch is wild and woolly. What? Huh. Well, depends. Are you are you a Protestant or are you? And here's the thing. That's a big The church started out as one church, and then there was what was called the Great Schism, where the church split east and west. So we have Eastern churches and we have Western churches. The Western church is what we would refer to as the Roman Catholic Church. The Eastern Church is what we would currently refer to as Eastern Orthodox churches. Okay? And then the Roman Catholic Church had this whole thing back 500 years ago where they all split up. But the Eastern Church has books in their Bible that we don't have either. 
Then there's the Ethiopian church, which has books in its Bible that we don't have. And then there's the Coptic church, which has books in its Bible that we don't have. You know, I used to wonder, I went to some Christianity, how come it's so divided? Because people used to always ask me, what type of church do you go to? And I went to a simple as a God church, I just never knew. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know what that was until, like, I came, like, here. But I used to always be, like, Baptist, because that's the only one I knew. There's, like, so many different ones. Like, why is that, like, Catholic and all that? Because we, we, we all think that we're right and everybody else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, because, and we think that so strongly that we have decided that it's more important than our unity. Mm-hmm. Well, I have friends that have it is messed up. issue with me coming here because my whole life I went to a Baptist church and they had an issue with that. Why? You yeah, are you're, so you're cavorting with the doctrine of demons. Yeah. <laughs> they were I can't like, believe you. Like, uh, Did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? You're in so much trouble. No, I, know. <laughs> I haven't even told them because I just... Baptists don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit really? or the gifts yeah, of the no. Spirit. No. They, they, they they make fun of people. Now, some do and some don't, but most Baptists don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they literally make fun of people that do. Yep. They 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 yep. We, well, they Not baptism in water. That's different. Okay. Water baptism. All of the church believes in baptism in water because Jesus told us to do that. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Because people used to go, like, have like full seizures at my church. Not seizures. It seemed like it. Sure. Oh, yeah. And it was so fun to watch. Oh, I have seen the craziest. You, I, we, could, we could go. We could. I have, seen, YouTube, I have seen wild, wild stuff happen under the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Back in 1994, <laughs> this church got hit by a wave of renewal that messed us up in glorious ways for the next like four or five years awesome. where crazy miracles were happening and then wild, wild stuff where that first day the Holy Spirit hit that room. Nobody was, my dad was at the pulpit and he got hit and thrown backwards 10 feet into the choir loft. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Like two of me. That's, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Was he old at the time? Well, this was 1994, so no, he wasn't old. He was like maybe 40. Maybe. That's not old. It's not old. Just so you know. Uh, yeah, I think that's about how old he was. That's not old. Trust me. No, he got thrown back, and then the Holy Spirit fell on the rest of the church, and all of the, we didn't know what to do. Like, we're like, whoa. And the whole rest of the church, people were falling out of their pews onto the floor. Nobody prayed for them. Nobody put their hands on them, nothing. Other people, a lot of people, were laughing hysterically for no reason. Just, <laughs> like, it was crazy. People are falling out. People are laughing hysterically. People are weeping. People are whatever. This went on for maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then somebody comes up. He's one of the elders of the church. And he's shaking. And he's weeping. And he gets up and he says, I've been bound by pornography for 30 years, but Jesus set me free this morning. And I know there's other men in here that have the same problem. You need to come down to this altar right now. 
and people came streaming down. These were like, it was nuts, right? My dad was still out cold on the floor. <laughs> My mom and the and Pastor Bob, who's still the worship guy here, were like, uh, 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 uh. So they decided to just sit down at the piano and just start playing softly like we don't know what's happening <laughs> they're, just gonna, they're just playing and this kind of stuff just kept happening and finally when my dad was able to get up which i don't know how long it was but it was a while when he was finally able to get up anybody that went within five feet of him like just gone and dad's hanging on the on the pulpit like this looking completely confused because he was drunk out of his mind on the Holy Spirit, like just couldn't barely stand. And then he goes, the music in my head is playing something like sweet anointing, something about that. And what he didn't know is that my mom and Bob had just pulled up this old hymn called Sweet, Sweet Anointing. Like just pulled it out of the hymnal. And we're just getting ready to play it. And they were like, yeah, there's a sweet, sweet anointing in this place. We stayed... All afternoon, into the evening, it was 7 or 8 o'clock at night, before anybody started leaving, really. I was about 16 years old, and I'm sitting in, I, and I'm sitting in the pew just going, what's happening? And then the Holy Spirit hit me, and me and my best friend are sitting there just trying really hard not to laugh really loud. And not because anything funny was happening, although a lot of funny things were happening. But that wasn't it. It was just this like upwelling of the spirit. And we're just like, <laughs> like it was the weirdest. And that kind of thing happened over and over again. Not every Sunday, but almost every Sunday for the next four years. Crazy things. We had a lady that came in and she always had an oxygen tank, you know, and she had to sit over in a special area because anybody had perfume, anything anywhere near her, she would just like couldn't breathe. She stood up in the middle of one of these services with her oxygen tank over her head. She's like, I don't need this anymore. And she rolls it down the aisle. And I'll never forget because it goes, Kong, 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 Kong. All the juice. We had somebody take, that was in the balcony, take their neck brace off and just throw it off the balcony like that. And we, I always joked that it, it like fell on someone's neck and they're like, ow, oh. <laughs> it was, we, we saw people healed. We saw hundreds of people saved. We saw, it was insane. We saw what you can only describe as revival for the next, you know, many years. But you know how many people were furious? who said that we were crazy and that this couldn't be God because it was out of control and people that left the church and people that wanted my dad fired. Fired? Oh, yeah. There was a board meeting that week. After that crazy day, there was a board meeting, an emergency board meeting, where they, there was a lot of people that showed up to vote my dad out because this cannot continue. And they all started... Dad starts the board meeting. They just pray. And when they prayed, the room filled with a cloud. And the presence of God filled the room. And all of them just either lay on the floor or put their heads down on the table for like an hour. 
And when that kind of moved on and lifted, they all stood up and said, this is obviously God, let's keep going. Wow. That's crazy. But imagine the meek so oppressed that they worry about his baggage to the bears. Mm-mm. It's giving broke people behavior. Bro. It was nuts. We saw, and I was right at the right age to like, this was my whole universe. Like this became everything. Like I'm like, I am in. And so I was, my friends and I were referred to as altar vultures. Because mm-hmm. we would just hover around the altars just waiting for, hey, what's God doing? Is God doing something? We would just jump in. When I was little and I'd go to church with my grandma, that would happen and it just, it would scare me so bad because I didn't understand what was happening. No, nobody understood. <laughs> you know, we, I would bring friends to church from school and they would be like, what is happening? <laughs> No, I would. That's yeah, we did. We, we, I would say that. I'd be like, be like, Lord, I really want you to touch my friend, uh, but you know, a little, not quite as crazy. Because we had, we had, it hit the youth group got hit harder than anybody, and our youth group grew to like six hundred kids, and and we would have Wednesday nights where. We would start worship, and by the end of worship, literally the entire room is on, out on the floor, just all over the place. I remember my youth pastor getting hit by the Holy Spirit, and he was he was on the stage, and he, he fell out and then kind of like slid down the stairs on the side of the stage. So his like legs are... Like, <laughs> we're over and we're getting hit by the laughter but it was funny anyway <laughs> it's like oh my gosh it was there was so many we would go to like when we would go to camps and stuff see because we were experiencing this but most of the ag wasn't and so our we would go to camp and, and our kids are all just like ah! like jesus doing crazy stuff and then the whole place would erupt with all this stuff, and they'd go back to their home churches, and people are like, what is wrong with you? It was wild. Yeah, we had some really great times. <laughs> it was so much fun, and it was really cool, and we watched God do amazing, amazing, amazing things. So many times. Healings and miracles. And So, Father, we say, do it again, Lord. Come by your Spirit. Move in our midst that we may carry on the testimony to the generations that come after. In Jesus' name, amen.